Good morning, I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready Vacation Bible School friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Today's first lesson comes from the book of Acts, the eighth chapter, verses four through eight. Now those who were scattered went from place to place, proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with loud shrieks, came out of many who were possessed and for many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This summer we are preaching through the book of Acts together, chronologically working through the high points. Uh, I will continue um, where Terry left off. We are skipping a little bit and moving from, uh, to Acts 8, 26 through 39. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch then asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so
So we're just coming off the 4th of July. I hope everybody had a good week, a good celebration. Uh, we had several families that came up to the church, and we cooked out and watched the fireworks, invite everybody to join us next year. It was fun. But one of the important things about the 4th of July is that it helps us to remember the story of our nation. It helps remind us who we are as a nation, and as we know, if we forget our past, our history, we are doomed to repeat it. We do not truly know who we are, and we cannot move forward. So this morning, to segue us into this conversation, I would like to give us a brief recap on the history of First Presbyterian Church in Columbus. So we'll start in the 1500s with its founding pastor, Dr. Johnson. It was quite a miraculous occurrence from what I understand. He built the church himself from seven bricks. Every time he would put seven on, seven more would materialize, and he built the church by himself in that capacity. That is the miraculous construction of these walls and this building. Well, it wasn't too much longer that John Calvin, who was French but also a Native American, brought his tribe to the Columbus area. And this church had been known after Dr. Johnson found it in the 1500s as First Hooch Church. <laughs> right on the Chattahoochee, it was a natural connection right there. And since John Calvin, French but a Native American, came and officially changed it to First Presbyterian Church as he had his roots in this new order of worship, that break broke free from the Hindus in the 1400s to create our new Presbyterian church. What? <laughs> what? I, I don't come to your place of business and make funny faces and oh, 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 oh at you when you're making a presentation. Let me continue, please. So later, Dr. Pemberton, now we're in the 1800s, he is in his office praying, and Dr. Johnson, he has a vision, and this vision is for a new drink. It is new, it is bubbly, no one else has ever seen its likeness. And he has a mole on his back shoulder. So he goes to see the dermatologist, Dr. Pemberton, and shared this vision. And he said, what color shall this drink be? The color of your mole will be the color of this beverage. <laughs> and so Dr. Pemberton, then so excited with this new beverage, takes his horse and rides to Atlanta, gets caught in traffic, horse to horse. <laughs> on one side, Ted Turner's on his horse. On the other side, Anderson Cooper's on his horse. Pemberton gets so exhausted and fatigued because of the horse traffic, he takes his recipe, throws it down, and heads back the other direction. Well, Cooper and Turner fight over this because they look at it and say, this is something new. I've got to capitalize on this. And Anderson Cooper kills, sadly, Ted Turner. Takes his recipe home, gives it to his mother who was putting swans on pants, and says, we need to develop this drink. And the actual C in Coca-Cola stands for Cooper from Anderson Cooper. That is the brief history of First Presbyterian Church here in Columbus. 
Thank you. You don't know how long it took me to prepare all of those dates and names of people that I don't even know. Okay, silly, right. Of course, none of that is true. None of that except uh, Dr. Johnson was a pastor here. He was not the founding pastor, but a great pastor that did build the church brick by brick in some ways as you look at it. So how did you know that what I was saying wasn't fact, other than the dates didn't really match up. And how did you know that? How's that? Because you know the history. You know the people. Your families were present, and they passed on to you, in some cases, several generations about how the church got started. We have it written down. We have studied it because it is an important part of who we are now and moving forward. It is our past. And if some Yahoo were to stand up on a Sunday morning and give the wrong account of your church, you would be able to say, "Uh uh-uh, that is incorrect here, here, or pretty much all of that is incorrect. Let me tell you what is correct. As a matter of fact, we have a whole room that is dedicated to the timeline of the history of this church up to present. Not because we only dwell in the past, but because we cannot know who we are now or moving forward unless we know from where we have come. Knowing our history is essential. If someone said to you, Jesus Christ wore glasses and was the originator of the formula for Coca-Cola. Again, absurd. But would you be able to say, no, he wasn't. Scripture doesn't say that. Or would you, you try to kind of step back and look like you know and say, well, yes, some interpret it that way, but, I, you know, I, I can see how you might think that with no idea. Today is all about knowing who we are. It is about knowing Scripture. It is about knowing our past, our present, so we can move forward. So let's set the scene. We are in Acts, and we've been through several things from the giving of the Spirit to Peter's first sermon, Peter and John now forming the early church in Jerusalem. We have Stephen, who is the first martyr. They realized they weren't being able to care for their widows and orphans. And so they said, okay, let's choose seven righteous people. Stephen was the lead on that. And they killed him because he would not cease speaking the word. He would not stop telling others about the resurrection. And so in a very Jesus-like progression of events, went through mock trials, was stoned to death. Even at his death, he said, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. So then we get to this next moment. Philip, we're in the book of Acts. And again, Luke is the author, the gospel writer. Luke and Acts, we think, is one volume together. So we have the same author telling the stories of Jesus and then the early church. We'll start with Paul next week and start to work on his call and ministry. But today it's about Philip. Is this Philip that was an original disciple? We don't think so. We think he was one chosen with Stephen as one of those seven who would have been righteous and a good leader and faithful. 
but somewhere in the process, his job description expands because he is teaching, he's preaching, doing amazing things. At the time Stephen died, persecution started for the early church. And so there's a, a fleeing of many. Philip is no exception. He goes to Samaria. And why is that important? Because the Jews and the Samaritans were mostly, I will say, enemies. They were at one time Jews, all Jews together, but then at one point they broke and the Samaritans established what they claimed to be the original Jewish uh, way of being that is only working with the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch. And they established a new temple on Mount Gerizim, different than Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not the capital of Israel, says the Samaritans. Assyrians come in, take over that part where the Samaritans were. They interbreed, they intermarry, and so Jews see them as being inferior, dirty, mudbloods for, mud for our Harry Potter fans. And so they've been at odds, which is so striking when Jesus comes through Samaria, meets with a Samaritan woman, on so many levels, the woman at the well. So Philip goes to Samaria, a place he should not go with people he should not be with, and he starts a church there. He starts it. And so in that process, the Spirit comes to him and says, I need you to take this road and go toward Gaza, the road toward Gaza. So on this way, Philip sees this big fancy chariot. This isn't a, a Ben-Hur chariot or a Gladiator, the movie chariot. This one has a seat, ooh, a bench, fancy, fancy. We are told that there's an Ethiopian eunuch who was in this chariot riding. He is in the court of the Candace, queen of Ethiopians. And Candace, sometimes we think is her name. It's not, it's a title. It means a royal person. It means a royal female in this case. She's a big shot. And this eunuch is high in her cabinet, the treasurer of all that she has. That's pretty high. So, what's a eunuch? <clears throat> Bear with me, friends. I'll do my best. So, I will simply use the term castrated, and I will cut off any further explanation because decorum prevents it. Are you with me here, friends? If you want to see the specifics that name names, Go to Leviticus 21.20 or Deuteronomy 23.1. It will tell you exactly what a eunuch is. That is forbidden from temple worship and covenant life because of what had been done physically to them. Now, there's a couple of categories that this eunuch could be. Some were, were chosen from young age that they would grow and fulfill this duty and they were castrated at a young age. Others came from prisoners of war or slaves in other capacities and were the same. Why? What's the point? So that this male can attend to the queen and her court without any possible interaction um, of negative 
sexuality. No chance, no shot, no how. So, clear from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. A eunuch is not allowed in the temple or in the covenant life. And here he is cruising by. He is well-educated. He is, has a high position of, stow, of power and status. Is well thought of. And he's got a scroll. Now remember, this isn't a day where people just had Bibles on them. He literally had a scroll of Isaiah, which again tells you his wealth and access to Scripture, which most people did not have. They went to temple to hear that or to a synagogue. So he's reading it, and somehow Philip, being led by the Spirit, comes and sees and hears and says, hey, hey, do you know what you're reading? What are you doing? And he stops, sitting in his chariot. And he says, how, how can I unless someone teaches me? First biggie right there. I preach so many Christian education Sunday-focused sermons on this phrase alone. How can I know unless someone is there to teach me and it is valid and right on? He is asking, he is trying to understand Scripture and says from someone who will know Please, come. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. And ask the question directly, who, who is this prophet talking about? Is it himself or is it somebody? Who, who is he talking about? So he's reading Isaiah 53. That is what we call the, the suffering servant passage that we connect with Jesus. Like the lamb to the slaughter, he will not receive justice or be accepted in this time. So that is our take on it, and that is Philip's take. But in order for them to communicate or understand one another, who moves first? Is it Philip or the eunuch? It's the eunuch. He says, will you come in and sit by me? Not sit over there, not, you know, servants bring a, a chair for Philip to sit in. Come and sit by me and tell me. What's this all about? Second point. A few weeks ago, we talked about the early church and we were studying Acts. And the four things that the early church, we are told, did right away. They taught and they learned. They were in fellowship together. They broke bread together, meaning they were at table together. And they prayed together. One of the things that we do at table, in addition to eating, is we talk, we visit, we share, we get to know each other. Families, uh, as challenging as it is, that is a core part of relating to one another. As a church, all churches operate on food, make no mistake, maybe coffee. Because we sit together and we have something to do while we're getting to know one another and share our faith. Come and sit by me. Very much like the Ethiopian asking Philip to come sit at his table and let's talk. If, and think about that. If you're the Ethiopian eunuch, 
you're from Africa, your color is wrong, your, your status as acceptable is wrong because of your sexuality and physical nature. You may or may not be a Jew, you might be a Gentile, we're not sure, jury's still out about that, but either way, you are not welcome in this community. And it says he's just come from worship. So what was he? Was he outside? He was not allowed inside. Did he meet with other people who might have been outcasts on the street somewhere? Fascinating to think about, because we don't know. But he had to open himself and invite Philip in, be vulnerable in his position, where what was done to him or not, he is a man in position of authority and had to maintain his power. And he says, I don't know. I don't understand any of this. Why don't you help me come up here and sit with me? Boom, boom, boom. Barriers, standards, shattered, purity laws, Torah regulations. Boom, 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 boom. Peter sits. And so what does he say? Let's explore the what I learned in seminary from our three-step systematic approach. No. Says, uh, do you know the Apostles' Creed? No. Hasn't really been formed yet. Do you go to temple at all? Did Did you sign the friendship pad? Sign the friendship pads before you leave. There was no orthodoxy. There was no creed. There was no lesson he gave him. What did he do to clear this up? He told him about Jesus. There was no systematic goal that John and Peter and Philip put together. He didn't say, turn to the front of your bulletin. There's a mission statement. Let's walk through that. He didn't say, here are the goals and objectives for how we plant a church and you're going to start. All those things are are good things, by the way, but that's not where Philip started. He started telling him the stories of Christ. And when we are called to situations where we may be uncomfortable, someone may ask us because they know you go to church or know you go to this church, hey, tell me about that. What does that mean to you? Why do you do that? Why do you go every Sunday? Or every other Sunday, or once a month, or once every couple months. And you try to think in your head, well, what do I I tell them? Is it the the doctrine? Is it original sin? Do I I start with the, uh, the sacraments? Well, we have two sacraments. You tell them the stories of Jesus that are meaningful to you in a humble but firm way. Yeah, this this is what I believe. I think it's amazing that Jesus fed 5,000 and tells me we are a God. This is a God of abundance, not of scarcity. There was so much left over. This God changed water into wine. This God calmed the seas. Only Jesus could have done that. He was raised from the dead. Let's just think about that. Who can do that but God and God's power? That Holy Spirit continues to be, whatever, however you connect, we should be able to articulate to someone who might be, that might come along. Because at times we are both Philip and we are both the eunuch. 
We are Philip at times, as others will come to us and may ask with help. Maybe that's in a Bible study. Maybe that's at a breakfast. Maybe that's at a Wednesday, Sunday night gathering. Maybe it's at a circle. Maybe it's at a fellowship. Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you, what do you think? Have you ever read this? Perfect. That's why we're here. Sometimes we are Philip and sometimes we are that eunuch that does not understand. We all go back and forth depending on what we know, what we're talking about, how we're growing or how we are not. If we cease studying, we cease growing. If we cease studying Scripture, we cease knowing God and ourselves in Christ and our call to what we are meant to do in this life. And I get it. I understand. It's hard to know. It's hard to fully commit. All those gifts that the Spirit, Holy Spirit gives us, often we are too afraid to open. They sit in the corner of our life like beautiful Christmas presents, all freshly wrapped with bows on top. And we're afraid to open them for fear of what it will mean and fear of what it will do to our lives when that is the reason we are here and that's what brings meaning and power and promise and hope to our lives when we unwrap these gifts. So what would you say if somebody at work or school or down the street or neighbor or organization or said, tell tell me about... Oh, well, I, I don't know. We get, you, see, you see that? It goes right up. I'm still thinking, thinking about it. I'm kind of processing. I don't really know. I don't really have the Bible. I, I can't help you. Or again, do you say, well, I'm, I'm seeking, but this is what I believe. Or this story really is important to me and it's why, or I've seen it in my life at this time or this time, or I've never really felt it, but there are so many people in my life that have, I'm working on being open. There are a lot of ways to respond to that that don't entail you having to be the automatic expert just because you claim Christianity. The Spirit will help you in that process. And we are called to share the news with those we meet. One huge piece of this is that a transition is starting in the biblical narrative. The Old Testament was clear. We are to keep this faith in the house of Israel. Jesus has some interactions with folks. He even says to the Syrophoenician woman, you're not from the house of Israel. This love, this isn't for you what I'm bringing. Sir, even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. Give me a little something. My daughter's hurt. Can you help her? And he smiles and he does. There's a transition starting. Even from the three wise men who were not Jewish, not of the house of Israel, the first ones, well, not the first ones, they are the first significant ones that we know of in Matthew's account to come see the baby Jesus. Outsiders, foreigners, those that were unclean according to their own law. Things are starting to change. So we come to a point where we say, who do we share our faith with? Who do we invite that we want to come sit with us? And that can be a hard question. I served a church, uh, an internship in Tonkawa, Oklahoma, a beautiful little town, north central, about 20 miles from Wichita, out in the wheat fields. It's really what shaped me into a minister as 
I was an intern in seminary, and they had no pastor. Every year they got a seminary student to come be the pastor for the year. So I did it all. I preached every Sunday, did their funerals, even did communion, even though I wasn't supposed to. They let me, they allowed me, because there was nobody else there. But while I was there, there was another church in the presbytery that was seeking to grow its dying membership. There was a special needs facility near them, and they wanted to reach out to this community with all hope and love that they could create, that they could connect, that they could grow together, help one another in faith. And guess what? They started coming. And guess what came with this community? Some noise, some movement, some distraction because of the nature of their physical and mental illnesses to the point where they said, well, our mistake, please don't come back. When we say we want the church to grow, when we say we want to be open and welcome all into worship, we need to understand what that means. Are we a church that would welcome the Ethiopian eunuch? One that even the Torah says is not welcome into worship. But now Philip and the Holy Spirit are changing and saying, not only are you welcome, but I'm going to send you back as the first African disciple. Whew. That is a big shift, shifting. It is not your race. It is not your sexuality. It is not from where you come. It is that you are seeking the word of God. Watch it, preacher. Watch it. You're stepping. You're stepping. This is not liberal nor conservative. This is the biblical story. And it is telling us that we're getting ready to change from a closed nation into something different. When we get to Paul and the Gentiles, it's an even better understanding without the sexuality that often gets us befuddled, confused, and frustrated. Gentiles completely out of the loop, dirty, unclean, not welcome, cannot worship, and that's who Paul spends the rest of the New Testament ministering to and bringing into the family of Christ. Big change is afoot, and it is exciting. So our call today is to open ourselves to being Philip and the eunuch at different times. We need to help those who are seeking and seek those who can help us. If we do not study and worship, we remain stagnant or even start to shrink in our lives and faith. Uh, a preacher in this category gave uh, uh, an idea that I love that I'm going to throw out to you. He said, we talk about, you practice what you preach a lot. For us to be successful, for our church to grow, we need to preach what we practice. Meaning we can talk all day. We can be good coaches, but not very good players. We can talk a good game. But when we preach what we practice, it means we practice first. We get our house in order. We welcome the Spirit into our lives, and then we can tell others, this is why I'm a Christian. We can invite others and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life, in my church. Why don't you come and join me? And that will be infectious, and that's how we grow this church. A preacher, you don't have anything for Then come, and we will start it. There's only one other. Come, and we will build it. 
but I can't be here. Come and we will do it. It is so exciting to be a people of God right here in this church right now. The Spirit is with us in calling us to welcome all that would come and hear the word and be a part of this family. So let us go with boldness. Let us go with faith and the knowledge that we do not walk alone and we've already been given what we need. Who will you invite to come sit by you as the eunuch did? Let us go and see. Hallelujah. Amen.